You're listening to Beltway Beef, official commentary from the National Cattlemen's Beef Association's Washington, D.C. office. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Beltway Beef. This is Ashley, and today I'm joined by Todd Wilkinson, who's NCBA's vice president, and he's been practicing law, specifically ag law, for about 35 years. And then we have Danielle Beck. She is the Senior Executive Director of Government Affairs here at NCBA. And Danielle has been handling all things budget reconciliation and taxes. Danielle, Todd, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Yeah, thanks for having us, Ashley. Well, I know this week has been a really big week in the world of budget reconciliation. We saw House Ways and Means Committee come out with a new list of proposed revenue raisers. And we had a couple of things to celebrate there, a couple of things to be concerned about. Um, so let's start by talking about the good news, uh, the wins here. Uh, stepped up basis preservation and 2032A expansion, uh, both things I want to dive into on the podcast today. Danielle, can you just talk about uh, those things and how we see them as wins in the new news coming out of Ways and Means? Absolutely. So stepped up basis is probably the the primary issue that NCBA has focused on when it comes to some of the potential tax changes that may be happening. You know, President Biden has proposed changes uh, to a longstanding provision called stepped up basis in that uh, stepped up basis would be eliminated and a new transfer tax would be imposed at death on all inherited assets. There have been some conversations about, you know, potential uh, quote unquote protections so that if you kept the farm in the family, you wouldn't be hit with a new capital gains tax. But uh, ultimately, you know, given just the the complexities there and the um, difficulty in crafting a provision that would provide meaningful protection for all ag uh, industries or family-owned businesses, we were really thrilled to see that the House proposal doesn't touch stepped-up basis. It leaves it fully intact. That is a huge win for agriculture. It's something that NCBA has been fighting for, uh, and we're, we're really grateful and excited to see. And then, you know, you mentioned the 2032A special use valuation. Uh, 2032A is a provision in the code that represents an opportunity to provide additional relief when it comes to the federal estate tax. It's a portion of the code that allows you to potentially lower your burden by making a 2032A election, allowing you to value your land at its actual use instead of its fair market value. Right now, there's a cap on that. Um, In statute, it's 750,000 indexed for inflation. That's about 1.16 million. But, uh, you know, that really has not kept pace with land inflation. And uh, it, it doesn't represent today in its current form, uh, a meaningful opportunity for our producers in that regard. And so we were thrilled to see inclusion of the Preserving Family Farms Act uh, in the House Ways and Means Bill. And that's uh, an effort that was spearheaded by uh, Representatives Panetta from California and Walorski from Indiana. So we're, we're grateful to them. And we think that's a good starting point to potentially build upon if they do go on the wrong direction on the estate tax exclusion limits. Thanks, Danielle. That's helpful to kind of give us the full picture of things that we can kind of take a, a sigh of relief about for right now. 
um, but still some concerns moving forward. Can you walk us through, uh, you know, two of the biggest concerns we have with the proposed revenue raisers now? Sure. It's whether or not these provisions are going to work for us. They do propose uh, expediting the estate tax relief that was provided to ag producers in the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act. So right now, the exclusion limits are $10 million per individual, $20 million per couple indexed for inflation, set to sunset in 2026. Uh, if this bill were to become law, those new levels would be reverted back to $5 million individual, $10 million per couple immediately. Uh, and they also propose uh, changes on estate tax valuations. And I think Todd is probably the best expert to be able to talk about that. I'm going to talk in terms uh, of what our producers would actually see in, in place. So think of, think of a ranch out there that um, is land intensive, which is the typical case, and they have placed their land in a family limited partnership so they could generationally transfer the land on to uh, future generations. And the parents or grandparents have gifted uh, a portion of their ownership interest to the next generation. And they do that in, in part to take them under a 50% ownership uh, valuation. And then the law has allowed for uh, two discounts, one a lack of marketability, and the second one is typically referred to as a lack of control. Both of those have to do with, um, in simple terms, if somebody owns less than 50% of the, of the voting stock or voting membership units, then they're not in control of the operation. And because of that, uh, we've been able to use for a number of years um, valuation discounts at the time of valuing property for federal estate tax purposes. So really, it's it's all about control and, and voting control of the asset. And when you go under a 50% level, uh, then, uh, then it's more difficult for that individual to be able to control the asset. And because of that, the valuation of the asset should be reduced. And so when we're talking about these, Danielle, Todd, what do you see as the step forward? So just specifically talking about the minority valuation issue, um, that's the first part of our concerns here. So, Ashley, there was language in the House bill that's actually, you know, supposed to provide some relief for agricultural producers or an exemption. Um, you know, there have been attempts in the past to eliminate, uh, you know, estate tax valuations, you know, as a, an alleged loophole, but, um, you know, thus far attempts to, uh, have been unsuccessful. Um, but the, the language specifically says that the rule would only apply to assets, you know, not, not using a business, it's limited to passive assets so that these discounts would be still permitted for family farms and businesses in the same way as current law. Uh, but if you read in between the lines and the language, um, you know, that wouldn't cover land holding entities as Todd referenced. And so, you know, really we're going to need to figure out if this language is still gonna be on the table in the Senate considerations. And if so, uh, how we can go about fixing it. 
Great. Well, certainly some work to be done there and some key conversations to be had with members of Congress in that space. But moving on to the second thing that we're concerned with, and that's the expedited sunset of estate tax relief. Danielle, can you walk us through that? TCGA levels would sunset back to 5 million an individual, 10 million a couple. And we know right now in the United States that it takes basically an average of, you know, 1,500 acres to exceed that 5 million exemption. And so that means that close to 200,000 farms in the United States would be uh, vulnerable to paying the death tax if what the House is proposing becomes law. And while, you know, 2032A, uh, I think, is intended to provide some relief there. It's not perfect. It doesn't provide us exactly, you know, the type of coverage that we would need to be okay with this. So ultimately, you know, we're going to be fighting to preserve current law uh, and then, you know, as a backstop, I guess, improve upon what's in the House bill on 2032A. If if I can just add on that uh, point, get to the producers, uh, the, the clear impact of this. You know, the, the reduction is not uh, is not something that was unexpected as of 1126. So we knew that these levels were only going to stay in until 1126. But now we're looking at um, expediting that up to 1122. So for for the people that I'm seeing right now, that would mean that there would be significant consideration of gifting assets between now and the end of the year because they're they're faced with a loss of their unified credit. And I don't want to get people lost in terms, but that's the fancy word for that $11,700,000 deduction is the unified credit. So if I'm a producer and I know that, that my operation doesn't exceed that level, but it is going to exceed the $5 million valuation for my real estate, uh, you know, I'm going to seriously look at um, making some estate tax changes in terms of gifting of assets to take advantage of that almost $6 million that's that's going to evaporate effectively as of the first of the year. So if our producers gain nothing out of this discussion, this should be a wake-up call for everybody to to take a look at things because... If you're asleep at the switch and this goes to January 1, uh, it's too late. I think you bring up a lot of good points, Todd, and, and that kind of flows into the next thing that I wanted to talk about is, you know, obviously producers are focused on generational transfer planning and, you know, taxes have a lot to do with those plans. What do all these conversations mean? Can you dive a little bit deeper into how producers should react to some of these conversations or should they react right away? What What's kind of the, the stance they should be taking from that perspective? Well, I don't think I'd, I'd rush out and, and make drastic changes at the moment because I'm, I'm sure Danielle will, will echo the sentiment that until the thing is signed, uh, we don't know what the finished product is. I mean, we we have a pretty good idea what's coming out of the house side right now. I wouldn't make huge monumental changes to um, your estate plan right now, but I would certainly have it teed up uh, and in the discussion mode if, if uh, a producer is going to face an, an increase um, 
or a, a decrease in, in the amount of the federal estate tax uh, unified credit because that that's something you know we they talk about um you know this sounds like a lot of money and nobody's going to hit it well i'm going to tell you from from a point of fact producers routinely will hit those levels it's not like our our producers have millions of dollars in the bank but the nature of their operations are such you need a land base you need a machinery uh you need you need your livestock and if you're forced to sell some of those assets in order to to operate yeah you can just cripple or effectively end an operation so when we're talking about major reductions in the unified credit uh, producers need to be aware that this discussion is going on i i have told danielle um over the course of the last week that these are probably some of the the biggest tax changes that producers have faced in decades and ones that could easily put producers out of business. I mean, if if you're not aware of what uh, the talking points were on this when it started, when we're talking at 40% plus uh, that the Biden administration was coming after us for, uh, there's no producer out there that's going to be able to, to withstand 40% plus in, in uh, taxation being imposed um, on their operation for generational transfers. So Again, I, would, I wouldn't rush to make huge changes in your plans right now, but you sure better have them on on uh, the ability to, to get in and make those discussions if this stuff comes to uh, fruition. And Danielle, I think what Todd's saying is that we still have a lot of work to do here in D.C., so can you just walk us through what your path forward looks like on the legislative end of things? You know, the path forward is pretty murky at this point in time, Ashley, because there are a number of Democrats in the House who have already come out, uh, you know, sort of in opposition to the way this process is moving forward. You know, the the way that the House took up the budget resolution, it was sort of with this agreement in perpetuity that there would be a pre-conferenced um agreement to overuse that word on what the total spending level would be. And then the house would go first identifying, you know, pay fors as well as all of the social priorities that would get funded. And the Senate would then take up everything the house had done without much amendment or going their own way. And that, you know, really was intended so that Democrats wouldn't have to take votes on tough issues unless they absolutely had to. But right now we're seeing, um, you know, certain senators like Senator Manchin draw a line in the sand saying they're not going to vote in favor of a proposal that costs more than $1.5 trillion, which is a drastic reduction from the House $3.5 trillion proposal that's, you know, basically moved out of 13 different committees this week. And so, you know, Dems in the House can't afford to lose three votes. And in the Senate, they can't afford to lose one. Whether or not they can uh, rectify the number of broad disagreements out there in a very short period of time remains to be seen. Uh, I know that there are a lot of priorities that the progressive wing of the Democratic Party is um, you know, continuing to champion and spearhead, and they're pushing for inclusion in a Senate proposal and how it all shakes out. Um, you know, I think... I could have a very successful career uh, 
predicting the future for folks and being a, a tarot card reader or mind reader, I guess, if uh, I had a good answer for you there, but I, I don't. Um, your guess is as good as mine. So, you know, I think in the meantime, NCBA is going to continue keeping on the pressure, advocating for a tax code that works for our producers because uh, we, we can't afford to give on any of these provisions. And we are committed to ensuring that, you know, however this shakes out, no matter what happens, our producers are going to be taken care of. What can producers be doing to help in these efforts right now? I would say that producers can be uh, educating their respected elected officials here in Washington, D.C. We have a portal on our website, tilted up. It's policy.ncba.org. You can find a a link there to connect with your members of Congress. And we have some language prepackaged. But I always encourage our members to uh, tailor that messaging to reflect their own personal stories of impact, because that is uh, really what helps make a difference when determining how each individual member is going to vote. They, they take into consideration what their constituency has to say. Well, thanks. It certainly sounds like we've still got quite a bit of work to do, but uh, maybe there was a, a glimmer of hope in some things that we saw this week and, and some advocacy efforts that paid off. But we will certainly keep members apprised of what's continuing to happen in D.C. and, and how conversations are moving forward. Uh, Todd, Danielle, is there anything else you'd like to include? I just want to say hats off to our NCBA staff out there. It, it, it's been remarkable where this thing is at from where it began and um, if a producer ever wanted to know what their membership was worth, it's worth the, worth the value of their operation right now, because that's literally what our DC staff is doing, is trying to keep you in business. Well, thanks, Todd and Danielle. Thanks so much for being on the podcast. I'm sure we'll be hearing from you both soon. This has been another episode of Beltway Beef. Don't forget to check us out online at policy.ncba.org or catch the podcast wherever you get your podcasts from, including SoundCloud, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts.